Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. Well, I want you to take your Bibles. And we're going to be turning in a moment to the book of Job. Before we start this morning, I want to pray because when I got up this morning, the Lord totally changed my message. So I'm relying on the Holy Spirit this morning. Lord, I pray that you would just use the next few moments, Lord, not just to, Lord, be a sermon. Lord, may your spirit, Lord, speak through your word. Set me aside, Lord. I am only a vessel, Lord. I am just a mouth. But Lord, you are the words. You are the word. Let your word, Lord, reveal to us truth today. And may it change us. In your mighty name, amen. Amen. If I were to ask you this morning, how many of you believed in God? I'm pretty confident that most of you would probably be in the affirmative. But if I were to ask many of you to describe him and to list his attributes and his qualities and to, to show me in the scripture of proof of those realities about God, about what you believed about him, I believe there may be some hesitation. Not that you may not know some words that would fit, but that you may not know and have the confidence of where those came from. You see, a lot of people claim to believe in God, but they're not really sure who God is. They claim to know God, but they really don't know what He's like, and they don't know how they can know these things with certainty. They don't understand where that idea comes from. If you'll remember a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, I preached a message out of the book of Malachi that God said, I, the Lord, do not change. How many of you remember that message? If you didn't hear that, you need to go listen to it online. It's appropriate for the times and the days that we live in. An attribute of God is that His immutable power, His immutable immutability, which means He doesn't change, is just one aspect and facet of who God is. Another facet of who God is is the goodness of God. We've been talking about that all morning as we've heard the testimonies and the, and the praise reports of people who have just said, you know what, God has been faithful. He's been good. He's just over and over. He's just been there. He's, he's, the, he's the rock, the steadiness in my life. And I can take you, and I'm going to take you through a journey through the Scripture, just of a few verses of, of Scriptures, of the goodness of God, of, of the fact that God is good. That doesn't sound very profound, but my friend, that is a mouthful for me to say this morning. The reason why that you come to an altar and you pray, the reason why you come to church, the reason why you sing and testify, the reason why you lift your hands, the reason why you do anything that has to do with God is because you have believed in your heart that God is good. 
and that he hears us with a good attention, with a good heart, and with good, in, with good desires that he has toward us. Beginning in the Old Testament, all the way back in the book of Exodus, chapter 34, verse 6. Scripture says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Where does that idea come from? Because the Lord himself declares it. 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 34. If you're going to write some down, these are great notes to take. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, and His mercy endures forever. I'm so thankful for that verse that's in the Scriptures. Ezra chapter 3, verse 11. The people of God, they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. And they sang this, For He is good, and His mercy endures forever toward Israel. For all the people shouted with a great shout, and when they praised the Lord... Because the foundation of the house of the Lord had been laid. They were giving God praise, knowing that everything that they had accomplished under the, under the call of God was because the Lord was good to them. Psalm 25, verse 8. God is good and upright as the Lord. Therefore, He teaches sinners in this way. Psalm 23, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm so thankful that verse is there. I'm expecting not just to walk through life by myself, but I know that right behind me, goodness and mercy are following me, that they're chasing me down. The goodness of the Lord is actually chasing you down, my friend. Psalm verse chapter. 145 verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. Mark chapter 10 verse 18, Jesus, as they were talking to Jesus, He makes the statement, He said to Him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. Jesus describing the Father, saying, All goodness You talk about goodness. It comes from the Father. How can you even define goodness, Jesus said? Because that definition is the definition of the Almighty God. James 1.17 Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. If it's good, you know where it comes from. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11 says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask for Him? If you are a good father, if you're a good mother, and you're good to your children, how much more is our Heavenly Father going to treat us with the same heart of love and tenderness and compassion and goodness toward us? Psalm 27, verse 13 says, I would have lost heart. David said, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. How many times have we walked through life discouraged and pressed down, not seeing a way out, looking like the 
that the walls were closing in on us, that we, we didn't have an escape route, that there was no, no way to press forward like this was game over and it was all done. How often have we said, Oh, Lord, thank you, because unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land, I would have lost heart. I would have failed. I would have crashed. My life would have burned. But I saw the goodness of the Lord coming after me. Hallelujah. He's good. Even in the darkest nights and in the deepest valleys, our Lord God is still good. Psalm 119 verse 68, since you are good and you do good, so teach me your statutes. Now there's a lot more there than what the words describe. In your goodness, Lord, You have to teach me. Because in God's goodness and His economy, His goodness is much greater than our temporal benefits. The goodness of God, you see, supersedes all of our desires and all of our wants and all of our wishes. We desire for perfection in our life, for everything to go our way, for us always to be floating downstream. But God's goodness sometimes has to teach us His ways. Psalm 34. Verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. I could spend all morning just right there. I will bless the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord when it's good. I will bless the Lord when it's bad. I will bless the Lord when I'm healthy. I will bless the Lord when I'm sick. I will bless the Lord when I have money. I will bless the Lord when I don't have money. I will bless the Lord when I feel my future is on on route. I will bless the Lord when I feel like I'm in a dead end. I will bless the Lord when the diagnosis comes back negative. But I will also bless the Lord when the diagnosis comes back positive. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my mouth. There will never be a time when I will not bless the God who is good to me. Hallelujah. I will bless Him at all times. Church, we have to learn that. We have to learn how to bless Him in the deepest, darkest holes we find ourselves in. When we can't do anything but look up because there's nothing else below us. We're on the ground floor. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my mouth. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Hallelujah. I will trust the Lord. My soul, verse 2, will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He heard me and He delivered me from all of my fears. The fears that I had weren't my reality. God said they're just temporary obstacles that you have to overcome because my goodness is going to bring you into my reality. And my reality is that, that I will always do good for my children. I will bless the Lord at all times. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. 
Verse 8 says, So taste and see that the Lord is good. And blessed is the man who trusts in him. Nahum chapter 1 verse 7 says this. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who trust in him. How does God know? Who trusts in him? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever thought, how does God know the difference between someone who is just all lip service, who's just pretending, and the one who truly trusts? I'll tell you. It's when that person understands what the true goodness of God is. Because our trust in a good God is not about trusting God in good times. It's about trusting a good God. Bad times does not equal a bad God, and good times don't equal a good God. There is just one thing to remember, a good God. And He is good all the time. What do we say? God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. But is that lip service to many? I mean, as soon as things go south, as soon as the train gets off the tracks, what do we do? We start complaining, getting nervous, being, feeling pressure. What do we do? We, we immediately we wonder if God is truly good, but good times don't equal good God. It's just the good God. Nahum said, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who trust in Him. You see, how you trust God in the midst of trouble is a direct correlation in what you believe before trouble arrives. Let me say that again. How you trust God in the midst of a troubling part of your life is directly related to how, what you believed before the trouble ever arrived on your front porch. Sometimes when things are good in our lives, our trust in the Lord becomes very shallow because we see the evidence of God's goodness around us. Everyone loves those moments in life. We love to see the evidence of God's goodness, don't we? We like to see the evidence of God's goodness when it comes to that promotion time. We like to see the evidence of God's goodness when it comes to our family and our children and our health and all of those things. We love those evidences of God's goodness. But on the other hand, it's hard to believe that a good God would allow trouble to come to us, but yet that's exactly what Scripture says. What I want to show you this morning is something that the Holy Spirit just laid on my heart. That we have to mature in our understanding of who God is. Honestly, I think the American church is probably one of the most immature churches on the entire earth. And I believe it's related to this very principle of God's nature because we have sought out good times rather than a good God. And we must develop maturity in our life. We have to develop maturity in our life so that when troubles and, and bad times and difficulties and challenges come, 
that we can answer as Job answered in Job chapter 13, verse 15. Here's where I want you to take our text. Everyone knows the story of Job. If you don't, I'll explain it in just a moment. But Job made this incredibly scary statement. If this verse does not scare you to your socks, you're not reading it right. He declares this. He says to the Lord, after all that had happened in Job's life, though he slay me, that very idea that this compassionate, loving, good God would even be associated with the even word to slay. Though God take my life, yet I will hope in Him. One translation says, yet I will trust Him. Though He slay me, yet I will trust Him. I will hope in Him. I will surely defend my ways to His face. We quote that verse from the oldest book in the Bible. In times we even think that we have that kind of trust. But I can tell you, my friends, none of us in this room want that type of trust tested in our own life. Can somebody say amen? Very few people have ever suffered the tragedy of the story of Job. He lost his wealth. He lost ten children. He lost his health. In a very short period of time, the trauma that fell upon him devastated his wife to such an extent that she encouraged him to just curse God and die. But before you take so much issue with Sister Job, understand that she was probably not being heartless, but she was probably seeking relief in her own life. She was ready to die. After losing her children and livelihood and the health of her own husband, she was like, let's call it quits. We can't take anymore. Just stop the pain. The reality is this. We live in a very sinful world. We tend to forget that we are living in a broken, sin-cursed world. You see, when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God... In essence, man was placed in charge of the world. We were put in charge of a world that we could neither control nor could we fix. Not only did we break the world, but we were broken ourselves. Our minds became depraved. And we continued in this dysfunctional disorientation of sinfulness until even today men's minds have been given over to such sinfulness that we are surprised when you see the headlines in the paper or you hear the the anchor on the evening news declaring what next has happened. That's why I've just about eliminated all that stuff from my house. While God owns this entire universe, He gave the earth to man who in turn gave it over to Satan. And now the world's being destroyed like a bad renter in an apartment 
that doesn't care how things turn out because it's not theirs. We've destroyed all things, but I want you to know that eviction papers have already been written up. They were signed on a hill 2,000 years ago by Jesus Christ on his, with His blood. Those eviction papers saying that sin is going to be defeated is defeated and that man is going to be replaced. And someday soon, there's going to be the, the eviction notice is going to be laid into, at the foot of this world and God is going to reclaim and He's going to serve those papers to this world and He's going to assume the position of of the rightful place that he has made in the in eternity past. Unfortunately, due to bad theology, many people living in this sinful, broken world lose their trust and faith in God because their life gets messed up or disoriented or the world gets off track. Somebody somewhere has taught a whole lot of people that God always wants His children to be happy. And even though that you, we all want life to be good, we all want things to be good, it doesn't erase the fact that God is good when things are not. If you pull the Scripture out of context, you can come up with a lot of different errors that will overthrow your faith when they don't prove to be true. Let me give you a few examples. In 3 John chapter 2, John writes these words. It's a passage that a lot of people use to teach health and prosperity. It says, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting well. In this passage, John is praying. He is, he is giving a desire that, that the people that are listening and hearing his message and his letter, reading this letter, that they would also prosper in health. And it's a direct proportion. If you'll look at the last part, it's in direct proportion to their spiritual maturity. Many immature Christians cling to this as a promise when they lose their job or their health. They also lose their faith in God because things didn't work out the way that they were supposed to. But that God let them down, that God somehow failed. But God didn't fail. To be honest, if you look at this verse, if our health and our wealth are truly tied to the prosperity of our souls, and there's a lot of people that would probably be near poverty and, and probably close to death right now. I'm thankful for the grace of God that when we don't deserve it, God gives it to us. You see, that's where it should go back to. It's not that he has failed or that he's not good. It's that he's gracious even when we don't deserve it. Look at Paul's traveling companions in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20. Erastus stayed in Corinth. And I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Philippians chapter 2, he describes another traveling companion. I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and he almost died, but God had mercy on him. Not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. You see, in this church, we believe when we prayed this morning, 
I absolutely believe in divine healing. I stand here two weeks after the fact of a testimony I gave two weeks ago as we stood, and I stood right here two weeks ago praying for this brother right over here, Terry Allen. I was praying fervently for Terry as he was sick with COVID. In tremendous pain, fever, all types of things going on. And I stood here and I was believing and the power of God came upon me. And I thought, I know for a fact Terry is going to be up today. He's going to be healed. Well, praise God, two weeks later, here he sits in church just fine. But that's not the end of the story. For the last couple of months, I've had heart problems, issues that I have never had before in my life. Palpitations, arrhythmias, pain in my chest, tightness, difficult things. I went to see a cardiologist, never had seen a cardiologist before, but I knew something was not right. Got an echocardiogram, EEGs, wore a monitor all through Christmas. Something was wrong with me. But I speak in past tense because as I was standing here praying for Terry, the Spirit of God came upon my life. And not only did He touch Terry, He healed me. He healed me. How do you know, Pastor? Because since that day, I noticed the following Tuesday that my heart had never bumped. It didn't make any arrhythmia. And since then, every day since, I wake up saying, Thank you, Jesus, because I have not felt that pain, that tightness, that arrhythmia, that that palpitation in my chest, not once since that day. He's a healing God. I believe in divine healing. I believe He can touch us when we pray. He heals our bodies. He took up our infirmities upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. Amen. I believe that because it's happened to me. That's not even the first time. We believe in divine healing, and yet sometimes healing doesn't come. Talk about a crisis of faith. In response, a lot of people would say, in poor theology, they would say, well, it's because you just didn't have enough faith. But yet, look at Paul, a man of incredible faith. Two companions in ministry with him. For some reason, God didn't immediately heal Trophimus. He didn't immediately heal Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus got to the point of death. He nearly died. God did not use instantaneous healing in those moments. God moved Epaphroditus on down the road and he was healed without even even Paul. But I would say that all three of these men by far kept that faith. The faith that Job proclaimed so many centuries before that said, though he slay me, Though my health be gone, if I lose my life, yet I will hope in Him. I will trust Him. No matter what happens to me in my life, I will never, ever lose hope in Christ. If you believe that every time you pray, instantaneous healing comes, 
you may have a crisis of faith at some point. But as you approach that prayer, here's how you approach it. You don't approach it with doubt. Because what does the Scripture say? He who doubts receives nothing from God. But you approach it a prayer of healing toward the goodness of God. You approach His goodness. You don't twist God's arm and say, God, your word says you have to heal. You don't do that. You, you approach Him in a way that moves toward His goodness because your reliance is not upon the prayer or the words that you say. Your reliance is not how much faith that you can try to get up in your heart and store up in your soul. Your reliance is not. Your reliance is on the faith of His goodness. It's upon the goodness of God, not what you can do. It's the goodness of God. And what did I read just a few moments ago? I read to you at least a dozen scriptures of how God is good, about His mercies endure forever, about if we trust in Him, He is a good God, always concerned about Him, and that we should bless the Lord at all times. Approach His goodness. Some of you have had incredible loss in the last year. Bridget, one of our staff members, I can't tell you how many friends, family members that she has lost over the last year during this pandemic. People that I know as well, friends of mine, have lost their life. Many of you, I would say many of you know the, 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 the utter feeling of loss that we have sensed over the past year. But yet through all of that, my encouragement to you is this. Continue to point your sails toward the goodness of God. You see, as a ship's captain would set his sails up He wouldn't just find out where the wind's blowing because the the wind does not determine the direction of a ship. Did you know that? It's the direction that you set your sails. You can go against the wind in a sailing ship as long as you set your sails correctly. We have to begin to begin to look at life and look at challenges and look at trouble in the context of the goodness of the Lord. I wish I could stand here and tell all of you this morning that you'll never experience loss in your life. That you'll never experience hard times. That you'll never be faced with sickness that you'll never have to see death come to you or your family. But if I were to do that, I would be telling you a falsehood. It's just not true. But my hope lies in my confession that I will trust the Lord. Though He slay me, I will trust Him. Why? Because I know the goodness of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Know that He is good.
As I just close this morning, I'll share with you a little story that I've heard quite some time ago. back during the American Revolution and you guys know if you know me you know I like history and I like military stuff and things it's just intriguing to me the strategies and the different tactics that these incredible men used during some of the dark days of the American Revolution the Continental Army had experienced defeat after defeat it was one setback after another and a farmer who lived near the battlefield in Valley Forge, he approached Washington, General Washington's camp one, one evening. No one knew he was there. And as he walked close to General Washington's tent, he heard this voice agonizing in prayer. Coming nearer, he realized that it was General Washington. As he peeked into his tent, he looked and he saw this incredible man down on his knees in the snow with his cheeks wet with the tears that had been flowing over his face, asking God for assistance and guidance. The old farmer, he snuck away and he returned back home and he sat down at the table that evening with his family. His wife asked him, what do you think? And he said this. He said, everything's going to be okay. She said, well, how do you know? What makes you think that? He said, well, I heard General Washington praying in the woods today. And he says, such fervent prayer to God cannot go unanswered. God's surely going to answer a prayer like that. No matter what happens in our lives, in these days of turmoil, COVID virus, God only knows what. I pray that your faith would be matured to such a point that you could say the words as Job, those scary words, though you slay me, I'm going to trust you. That is a statement of ultimate commitment. It's not sadistic. It's just a statement of complete surrender and commitment. It says, God, no matter what happens, you can't shake me. <laughs> you can't get rid of me. No matter what happens, there is no way, no way I'm going to let go. No matter what the doctor says, I'm not letting go. No matter who is lost in my family, no matter my friends, if they turn and they forsake you, I'm not going to let go, Lord. You see, I've put everything into the center of the table. All bets are in, and it's all on you. I'm not going to go anywhere, Lord. I am staying. 
My prayer is that that's the kind of people that God would shape us to be. Because I believe I've wondered about even saying this. Well, I believe for Christians in America, there are challenging days in front of us for the church. There is a refining fire that is coming. It's coming to this nation as it has already passed through nations like Nigeria, China, the Middle East, where Christians are forced to take Job's word, Job 13, 15, literally. Friends, let us not be weak-kneed. But in the coming days, let us rise with boldness and with strength. And let us be that church that says, no matter what happens, no matter what you do to me, no matter what you do to us, I will trust you. Because that's where goodness comes from. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, I know that, Lord, that there are those in this room who have experienced incredible trouble in their life recently. Beyond that, Lord, I pray that, God, that you would give them the faith to hold on, to trust you, let their hope be in you. I pray, O Lord, that you would just give us the courage and the strength, Lord, in the coming days as believers, as Christians, Lord, to grow up in our faith, Lord, so that we can make statements just as Job made. I pray, O God, that you would help us, Lord, to become strong, determined, courageous. Lord Jesus, Let us direct ourselves toward the goodness of the Lord. And Lord, may we pursue you, Lord. Good times don't mean a good God. Bad times don't mean that you've lost your goodness. We just trust the fact that you are a good God. And your word is poured out. You've been faithful. Let's stand together this morning. As we go this morning, I want our worship team to sing this song. Chris is going to come and close us out, but I want us to sing this song before we go. Let's just sing. Sing that first verse in the chorus, if you don't mind, Bridget. We have the words. Sing that chorus. All my life you have been faithful. Oh my
Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.